welcome to episode two of Never Forgotten Moments in History. I'm going to be going through the life of Anne Frank and her family. But first, let's talk about what the Holocaust was. During World War II, the Nazis killed nearly six million Jews in Europe. This genocide is called the Holocaust. The word Holocaust is from ancient Greek and means burning offering. But since the occurrence during World War II, the word has been used to describe death involving large groups of people. Since World War II, when people hear the word Holocaust, their mind takes them to, a, to the millions of Jews that were murdered by the Nazis. Jews today and ever since the war have also called it Shawah, which to them means catastrophic. People often ask and wonder why the Holocaust happened. The straightforward answer for that is the fact that the Nazis wanted to exterminate the Jews from their country. They had their ideologies behind it. The anti-Semitic Nazis were considered to have hostility towards the Jews, modern racism, and nationalism. Adolf Hitler made it clear of his hatred for the Jews, but initially had no plans to mass murder them until after the outbreak of the Second World War. After the start of the war, the Nazis conceived the idea and possibility of murdering the Jews in Europe. The Holocaust is a series of serious decision-making that were influenced by circumstances. This was their extreme solution to the problems they ran into during the war. The competition between different government departments led to extreme racial measures against the Jews. Hitler made the final decision at the end of the day between the years of 1933 and 1939, the Nazis made life more impossible to live with each passing day for the Jews. Jews quickly became the victim of discrimination, exclusion, robbery, and violence. At this time, Nazis did kill Jews, but their goal was not yet to mass murder them at this time. The Nazis were trying to push Jews out of Europe by making their lives difficult to live day to day. So Jews could no longer work in certain professions and were not allowed in public parks. In, in 1935, the Nuremberg racial laws went into force and this affected them by making them second-class citizens with less rights than non-Jews. Jews began fleeing from Europe for a better life. Some Jews felt that matters were only going to get worse from the current situation. Sadly, others didn't think it could get much worse than it already was, but boy were they wrong. A lot of them simply couldn't afford to leave the country or just had nowhere to go. Synagogues and Jewish-owned businesses began to be destroyed. As time went on till the start of the Second World War, it was nearly impossible to leave the country as the Nazis changed their plan to set out to exterminate every Jew that they could. When the Nazis invaded Poland in September 1939, a new phase of exterminating the Jews began. When the Nazis invaded Poland, that meant that 1.7 million Jews were now under Nazi rule. The Nazis created ghettos where they housed the Jews like prisoners. They lacked food and medical care. Several families were sharing one small home, and they were not allowed to leave the ghettos without permission. So forced labor among the Jews had begun at this time, and the goal for this was to wear them down, while at the same time they lacked food and medical care, and Jews became a weaker target for the Nazis, and it was easier for the Nazis to get rid of them. Um, the camps began to open up to house thousands of Jews. 
the ghettos were kind of like a temporary holding unit for Jews until the camps were ready. And then they slowly just started transporting Jews out of the ghettos and into concentration camps. And then once they got to the camps is when they started doing their like selections and, you know, stuff like that, which we'll get there. Um, They would take families out um, back somewhere in an open field at times and while they were in the ghettos and they would literally make these people dig their own graves and they would line them up in front of the graves that they had dug and they would shoot them all while standing in a line and they would literally just fall into their grave. So that was the ghettos. Um, Historians suggest that without there being any physical proof that Hitler made the call that he wanted all Jews killed somewhere around the second half of 1941. So in the later part of 1941, the Nazis prepared a plan to mass exterminate the Jews. The Nazis experimented with Jews and occupied territories until they found the solution. They introduced the idea of the gas that would kill Polish Jews. This method was faster for them to kill more Jews in a shorter period of time. They figured it would bother the SS guards a lot less if they didn't have to physically shoot them and have to handle their bodies. So they made large camps that would hold thousands of Jews crammed in bunk houses, which they called the barracks, and make the Jews work hard forced labor with little to no food to sustain them, little medical care, and Jews were forced to work with the aftermath of the killings in the gas chambers by preparing the bodies to be burned inside the camp. They made Jews haul the bodies from one site to another in wheelbarrows and into crematories. The Nazis built several extermination camps, which were Belzec, Sabibor, and Treblinka. And the victims were murdered upon arrival to these camps by the gas chambers. Only a small number of Jews were kept alive to help with the killing process. Jews were crammed in overcrowded cattle cars and transported to Eastern Europe. Some of them died on the trip there from no food or medical care. Most of them ended up at Auschwitz-Birkenau, but these weren't the only camps. Out of 101,800 Dutch Jews who were killed, 34,000 of them were murdered at Sobibor. Auschwitz-Birkenau was a labor camp and an extermination camp. So... As the war went on and word got around, this w- this was one place people were afraid to end up. And while in transit in the cattle cars, it was one of people's biggest fears was was to open those doors and smell the flesh burning. Because literally, when they got there, you could just smell the crematories burning bodies from people that had been gassed in the gas chambers. So it was just a horrifying um experience to step out and just know that you're not sure what selection you're going to be chosen for. Are you going to go left? Are you going to go right? Are you going to die? Or are you going to live? So terrifying. So they also, you know, they had the selection. You'd go right or you'd go left. One was for forced labor. One was for the gas chamber. Um, These programs where they had the forced labor were also known as, in quote, extermination through forced labor, in quote. Um, living life in fear, among other issues, is an unbelievable thing for a human to survive through or be expected to survive. 
it's so heartbreaking that some fought so incredibly hard just to hope for a better tomorrow that seemed so far away. Jews were brought in from other parts of occupied Europe as the war went on. And by 1943 through 1944, deportation started from Italy, Greece, and the Balkans. When the Allies began getting closer to the extermination, um, the extermination started to slow down and came to a brief halt. In the last few months of war, thousands of Jews and other prisoners went on a forced death march to prevent the Allied troops from liberating the camps and freeing the Jews. The Nazis fought till the end to kill as many Jews as they possibly could because they knew that the war was coming to an end and they were losing. So even after the war, people still lost their lives from malnutrition, disease, exhaustion, and they sadly just couldn't come back from this. Okay, so now that um, I've touched base on what the Holocaust is and why it happened rather in a short fashion, um, let's talk about Anne Frank and what her and her family went through during the Holocaust. So there are a lot of stories and memoirs out there about the Holocaust and, you know, people's experiences. Most of them are sad and, and it's a dark era, but it is our history. It is their history and we can always learn something from them. I feel like the stories that they tell through their memoirs is a way for them to get justice and for what they went through to never be forgotten and neither should what they went through to survive another day and the strength that had they had to dig so deep inside of them just to get through something so bad and unimaginable to us the pain the torment that stuck with them till the till their last breath and frank wanted her story to be told she just didn't know how her story would end and frank was born in Frankfurt, Germany in 1929. Her parents were Edith and Otto Frank. She had an older sister, Margaret. Anne's parents had decided to move to Amsterdam in 1933. Anne felt right at home in the Netherlands and had made lots of new friends at her Dutch school. Otto Frank decided to grow his business and start selling herbs and spices in addition to pectin. And if anybody's curious of what pectin is, because I didn't know what it was, it is actually an ingredient that goes in jelly. So on September 1st, 1939, when Anne was 10 years old, the, the Nazis invaded Poland and the Second World War had begun. On May 10th, 1942, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands. And just five days later, the Dutch army had the area surrounded. So Nazis began setting up laws and regulations regarding the Jewish population. This made it hard for the Jews to live their lives at peace or financially. Jews could no longer visit parks, movie theaters, or shop in a non-Jewish-owned store. With all this happening, more things began, became unavailable for Anne to enjoy or benefit from. Her father lost his company due to Jews were no longer allowed to own or run a business, and all Jewish children had to go to school, go to schools only for Jews. So as the laws got stricter and the Jewish population lost most of their rights, they became a controlled race under the Nazi rule. They had to start wearing the Star of David to be identified while out in public. Jews were told they needed to find a way to leave the Netherlands. Anne's sister Margaret received a call up that she needed to report to the labor camp in Nazi Germany on July 5, 1942. 
This made Edith and Otto Frank suspicious of what all this meant and what would happen to their daughter. So Otto Frank decided it would be best to take his family into hiding <clears throat> after a failed attempt to leave the country. Otto began preparing a place of hiding for his family in the spring of 1942 and starting furnishing it with things that they needed. They didn't know how long they would be there. He just knew he had to take precautions to protect his family from the Nazis, whom he did not trust on July 16, 1942. The place of hiding was in the annex of Otto's business, which, he was, which was located at Prinzengracht 263. He had help preparing the annex by his former colleagues. The Franks ended, going, ended up going into hiding there and had four other Jews join them. The hiding place became smaller and smaller as they took people in with them, and it meant everyone being around each other quite a bit, which became an issue for some of them at times. Anne had to keep quiet in order for them to, be not, to not be discovered, and she was often afraid. The others that went into hiding with them were in first to join the, for the Franks on July 13, 1942, were Herman Van Pels, Augusta Van Pels, and Peter Van Pels. A few months later, in November of 1942, Fritz Freffer joined them in the annex. Let's talk about the people that were in hiding with the Franks and get to know them a little better, and what their lives were like on a daily basis. So the Van Pell family were the first to join the Franks. Augusta, Herman, and their son Peter so Peter Van Pels was 15 years old when he and his parents joined the Franks. Their family was Jewish and lived in Onsnabruck, Germany. The Van Pels left Onsnabruck in 1937 due to the Nazi anti-Semitism. Prior to going into hiding in 1942, it is believed that Peter was taking a course in furniture upholstery. So the Van Pell family agreed it was time to go into hiding as the Nazis were increasingly doing call-ups for forced labor camps for Jews. Otto Frank and Herman Van Pell had agreed the annex had enough room for at least two families, and Herman worked as an employee for Otto's business. There, there, so there was already some trust there and a friendship. They just wanted to help protect each other's families. <clears throat> Peter and his family joined the Franks. After one week of the Franks being in hiding, Herman and Augusta let Peter bring his tomcat with him into hiding, and it did help keep the people in the annex company through the hard times. Peter's tomcat's name was Moochie. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I think it's Moochie. Peter was also the only one in the annex that had his own room. There was a staircase in the middle of his room that led to the attic and the loft of the secret annex. So the attic is where Peter liked to hang out during the day, probably because there was a skylight on the ceiling of the attic and they could see the sky and the treetops from close by. Gave him and Anne's a sense of outside. At times they could open the window in the attic in some fresh air, but had to be very careful not to let anyone see that the window was open as people were walking by on sidewalks during the day. Peter was a quiet person that was withdrawn most of the time, off by himself, either in heavy thought or tinkering with something he had found interesting. He loved to tinker with carpentry. He also helped chop wood for the stove. Anne mentions Peter in her diary as always being a boy of few words 
and rather reclusive while in hiding. She mentions in her diary that he flops himself lazily on his bed half the time, gets up, does some carpentry work, and lays back down. Otto even mentions that Peter was, in quote, lazy and disinterested, in quote. At first, while in hiding, Otto said at the beginning of the time in hiding that Peter spent visiting, spent little time visiting with Anne and Margaret. Eventually, Anne and Peter grew close while in hiding, and Anne became interested in Peter, and she needed to have someone to talk to with all the thoughts she had. She wanted someone to share them with that somebody that was more her age. So Peter and Anne talked about anything and everything that bothered them in the current situation about life. They began to learn about each other's likes and dislikes. Anne wrote in her diary about their situation, uh, Peter's dreams for the future, and he told Anne he wanted to go to Dutch E. Indies and live on a plantation later on in his life. Peter and Anne fell in love while in hiding in the annex and they would cuddle and kiss while up in the attic during the day. Anne later wrote in her diary that she realized that Peter would never be the friend she needed him to be, and she tried to let go of the idea of loving him, but he didn't want to ignore the feelings he had grown to have for Anne. They had spent many days together over those two years in hiding. Otto Frank was teaching Peter English at the time of discovery of the families in the annex. After the arrest of Peter and the others, they were sent to Westerberg Transit Camp, and this is according to a fellow prisoner. Peter and Anne were often seen together there. On September 3rd, Peter and his parents, just as the Frank family and Fritz Pfeiffer, they were put on a transport to Auschwitz-Birkenau after their discovery. So on the departure leaving for Auschwitz, Peter saw Anne standing on the platform waiting for her departure for the last time. Peter was assigned to the Auschwitz post room and he was able to get extra food every now and then. Otto Frank and Herman, which Herman is Peter's father, were there with Peter in Auschwitz, so he would share the extra food he would get with him. Herman Van Pels was selected for the gas chambers in early October, and Peter was devastated when they took his father away for the last time. As the Soviet army drew closer, the Nazis decided to evacuate Auschwitz, and all the prisoners that were still able to walk was forced to go on the death march. The Nazis couldn't walk away. They had to try till the end to take all the lives possible. Otto Frank was in the barracks and had fallen ill, and he did not attend the death march. He was left behind. Otto tried to get Peter to stay with him, but Peter thought he was going to march to his freedom. If only he knew the camp Otto stayed at would soon be liberated and he would have been free with Otto Frank and just may have survived the Holocaust. Peter felt he was fit and would sustain himself through the march. It turned out to be a difficult journey, and Peter, among other prisoners, were taken on the march to Mauthausen Concentration Camp and, and worked in hard-laboring mines. And this work took its toll on Peter. Peter fell ill and ended up in the sick barracks, and in the camp was liberated by American troops on May 5, 1945. Medical staff at the camp say Peter Van Pels died on May 10, 1945, and he was only 18 years old. It's heart-shattering how close he was to making it out of that hellhole. When Herman Van Pels joined the Franks. So this is Peter's father, and I'm just kind of going to, I'm going to kind of go um, down like the list of everybody that was in hiding and kind of 
tell you a little bit about them and like what their role was in while they were in hiding in the secret annex, their relationships um, to each other as they were in hiding, their lives after they got arrested and discovered, and then what happened to them after they were arrested and deported to concentration camps. So we're going to go through that real quick. So Herman Van Pell joined the Franks, and Anna had written in her diary that he was a chain smoker, and in quote, chain smoker joker with a great understanding of politics, in quote. Herman married Augusta December 25th, 1925, and they had Peter just one year later. In 1939, Herman left his father's company. He had worked for many years to join Otto Frank's business. Fast forward to 1942, when Herman and Otto set up the hiding place in the annex to prepare a place for their families to remain safe during the war and away from the Nazis' grasp. In the annex, Otto and Herman set up rooms for both of their families. Herman used to work as a butcher for his father, so he helped with preparing food to bring into hiding. He gathered sausages and other meats so they could have meat to cook meals with. In the evenings and weekends, they would go through the business correspondence. Anne mentions in her diary that he would often look up things in the dictionary and read books about medicine, romance novels, and detectives. Cigarettes were a must-have for Herman at all times. When he would run low or run out, he would become grouchy and short-tempered. Anne would write in her diary about how during a many occurrences that this had happened. Anne said for a St. Nicholas gift for Herman, he, it was easy enough that he was getting an ashtray. Anne would quote things in her diary about Herman, would, how he would say when he was being grumpy during one of his moments running low on cigarettes. Anne also writes that when he is in a good mood that he is quite the joker of the secret annex. She would love his jokes so much that she would write them down in her diary, so she would always remember those moments and laughs. One joke particular she wrote down was, in quote, in quote, who is black, sits on the roof, has two feet, and can whistle. The chimney sweeps apprentice, end quote. Anne mentions that if you talked about politics with him, you better be ready to get a lecture if, you're, if you try and contradict him. Herman and Otto thought that the Allies would advance and it would all go well and the Netherlands would be liberated by October 1944. But that sadly did not happen. When the people in the secret annex were discovered, Herman tried to bribe the SS officers with money to continue letting them hide and remain safe, but the officers did not respond to Herman's request. Just after a few days of their arrest, Herman, along with the others, were on a train headed to Westerberg transit camp in Westerbork, the men and women were separated and during the daytime Herman had to work. In the evenings he would be back with Peter and Augusta. Their biggest fears became reality when they were put on a train headed east on September 3, 1944. They were headed to Auschwitz. Peter and Herman stayed together but Augustus was separated. Herman ended up wounded, wounding his hand during road construction work at Auschwitz and was left behind in the barracks with the ill. Herman was shortly after, in October, sent to the gas chambers at the young age of 46, leaving behind his son in the same camp barracks. 
So that was Herman Van Pels. Um, and now I'm going to speak about his wife, which is Peter's mother, Augusta Van Pels. And I'm hoping, I hope I'm pronouncing her first name correctly. Um, but Augusta Van Pels gave Anne a good laugh when she joined them in hiding. Anne says Augusta had carried her chamber pot in a hat box, and Anne wrote in her diary that Augusta had told her, in quote, I don't go anywhere without my chamber pot, in quote. Anne considered Augusta to be the busy housewife in the secret annex. Augusta always did her best to prepare good, tasty meals for the people in the annex. She wanted it to feel as much like home as possible, and good food was a good start. Anne wrote that Augusta got tired of being the queen of the kitchen, but she stuck with it to pull her weight and keep, and help keep herself busy. Augusta also learned English and Dutch while she was in the annex over the two years they were there. According to Anne in the diary entries, she made Herman and Augusta, in quote, quarreled often but were quick to reconcile, in quote. Anne talks about the instance where Herman made forced Augusta sell her fur coat to finance the secret annex. Anne says, end quote, the yells and screams, stomping and abuse you can't possibly imagine. End quote, it was frightening. My family stood at the bottom of the stairs, holding their breath, ready if necessary to drag them apart. End quote. According to Anne, they didn't fight for long periods of time. They made up rather quickly. When they were all arrested, Augusta spent three days cramped in a cattle car while in transit to Auschwitz along with her family and the Franks. In the concentration camp, Augusta had lots of support by Margaret, Edith, and Anne. On the night of November 1st, Augusta was support, transported out of Auschwitz to Bergen-Belsen concentration camp along with Anne and Margaret. Bergen-Belsen was an overcrowded camp and the camp command had tents set out. These ended up getting destroyed during a bad storm and the women there in the tents were moved in to already overcrowded barracks that had already had several hundred hundred other women in them. In February of 1945, Augusta was transported to Ragun, which was a satellite camp of the Buchenwald concentration camp. She was transported from there to Thresenstadt. It is unknown how Augusta died, but some people say that she died on the transport to Thresenstadt. The person that says she died on the transport was Annalore Beam Daniel who had met Augusta in the barracks at Bergen-Belsen camp. After the war, Anna Lohr mentioned that Augusta had contracted typhoid fever or typhus and had died shortly after leaving Bergen-Belsen. Anna Lohr said she had helped someone remove her body and set her by the tracks and the cattle car moved along to the next camp. Her body was never discovered. Margaret Frank so now we're moving to one of the Frank daughters. This is Margaret Frank, Anne Frank's oldest sister. So Margaret Frank, who was Anne's older sister, was, was born February 16, 1926 in Frankfurt, Germany, to Otto and Edith Frank. Margaret was described by her parents as always being a neat and careful girl. Margaret had started school in Germany, and her teacher said she was a very diligent girl. And the teacher had written that on her first report. When the Franks moved to the Netherlands, Margaret was seven years old. Margaret attended the primary Dutch school that was in their neighborhood because they felt that was the best for her. Margaret's reports she got from school showed that she was intelligent and picked up on curriculum rather naturally. 
Her highest scoring suits were math and science. Her friends always said Margaret was a friend you could lean on and always trust. Margaret was rather quiet and reserved most of the time. During the time of July 6, 1942, Margaret, Edith, and Anne, along with the father, Otto, hid in a part of their business, family business. At this time, Margaret shared a room with Anne, but that changed when Fritz Pfeiffer joined them in hiding because Fritz became Anne's roommate. After Fritz joined them, two families were there. Two families there were now eight people in the secret annex. So Margaret started sharing living quarters with her parents. And Fritz, when Fritz moved in, he started sharing a room with Anne. So I can't imagine how uncomfortable that must have been for Margaret at 16, having to share her room with her parents and Anne having to share a room with a grown man. Margaret also kept a diary, same as Anne, but it was never discovered after the war. People, including myself, often wonder what we would have learned from Margaret, just as we learned so much from Anne. Anne talks about a moment her and Margaret shared while in hiding. They had slept in the same bed one night, even though they were squished together in the tiny bed, they had a nice visit together. They asked each other if they could read each other's diaries, and they said yes. Meep, guys, was a lady that helped the families while in hiding in the secret annex, and she always found and she's she's the one that found and saved Anne's diary after their arrest and held on to it until after the war she gave it to Otto Frank. Um, Meep Gies mentions how alone Margaret must have felt after Anne and Peter fell in love in the secret annex and Anne spent most of her time with Peter instead of her. So Anne at one time mentioned that Margaret had feelings for Peter also but that Margaret denied the thought when Anne brought it up. Margaret wrote a letter to Anne while in hiding about Anne asking her about the feelings for Peter, and she wrote her and said, end quote, I only feel sorry that I haven't found anyone yet, and I'm likely for the time being, and will not likely for the time being, with whom I can discuss thoughts and feelings, end quote. When the families got arrested in the annex, one of the officers mentions that, end quote, Margaret was weeping silently, end quote. So when Margaret was in Auschwitz, she was forced to carry stones and cut sods, and the camp regularly had selections, and they would decide who was still fit for the work at the time as, and as time went on. So if people were selected as weak or sick, they would be selected to be sent to the gas chambers. Um, Margaret and Ann were a part of a group that were selected to be transported to Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. And this was the place where there was little food, very poor hygiene, many infectious diseases had broken out, very overcrowded. Um, Margaret had contracted spotted typhus, typhus there. A camp prisoner um, had witnessed Anne and Margaret as they were getting ill. Said the, She said that, in quote, they had those hollowed out faces, skin and bone. You could really see them dying as they were as they were, as well as others, end quote. Margaret Frank died in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in February of 1945, just weeks before the camp of libera was liberated by the British soldiers. So <clears throat> that's just so heartbreaking that they made it completely through the war, you know, hiding up until that last bit of time. They were in 
you know, Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen, and just two weeks before she they passed away, the camps were liberated. Just unbelievable. So sad. So on to Edith Frank. So we'll tell you a little bit about her. Um, this is Anne Frank's mother. So Edith Frank, who was Anne's mother, was one person Anne describes as hard to get along with. She mentions how she and her mother's personalities just clashed. Anne wrote in her diary, end quote, I usually keep my mouth shut if I get annoyed, and so does she. So we appear to get on much better together, end quote. Otto says that Edith emotionally suffered more than Anne when they had their arguments. Otto was worried about Anne and her mother not having a good relationship. Anne was close to her father and thought of her much more like him than her mother. Otto wanted people to know that Edith was a wonderful mother. Otto said, in quote, I was worried about my wife and Anne not having a good relationship. However, she truly was an excellent mother who put her children above all else. She often accompanied that Anne would oppose everything she did, but she was confronted to know that Anne trusted in me, end quote. Edith didn't have any easy time while in hiding in the secret annex, Meep Gapes said, in quote, she suffered from feelings of despair, in quote. Edith felt that the end of the war for the Jews would never come, while others in the annex were hopeful it would be soon, and they would make games out of it. Edith had told Meep Gapes, in quote, I feel ashamed of the fact that she felt the end would never come, in quote. When the families were arrested, Edith was also taken to Westerbork, where she worked taking care of, taking care and tearing apart old batteries and saving the parts to reuse. So a witness recalls Edith always appearing to be numb to the situation around her while in Westerbork. In September, Edith was deported along with her family to Auschwitz extermination camp. Edith was with Anne and Margaret at this time, and they depended on each other like they had never before. Anne and Margaret had been separated from Edith when they had a bad case of scabies. Edith and a friend of hers dug a hole and gave Anne and Margaret extra food. At the end of October, Edith was separated from her daughters. Anne and Margaret were sent to Bergen-Belsen, and Edith was left behind in Auschwitz. A woman named Rosa Winter became Edith's new companion. After the girls were deported, and Edith found much comfort in Miss Winter. Miss Winter said, end quote, we comforted each other and became friends, preparing for the worst, end quote. Edith became getting ill. Um, she began getting ill and started running high fevers, and she ended up in the sick barracks. Miss Winter had described that the last time she saw Edith, end quote, one morning new patients were brought in, and all of a sudden I recognized Edith. She came from another ward. She was only a shadow, and a few days later, she died completely exhausted, end quote. Edith Frank died on January 6, 1945, just shy of three weeks before liberation in Auschwitz-Birkenau. How, how heartbreaking. Oh, my goodness. So now we're going to be talking about Fritz Pfeffer. Um, he was a dentist, and the eighth person to join the Franks and Van Pels in hiding in the secret annex. He worked as a dentist in Berlin 
Fritz was with a woman named Charlotte when the war broke out. That was his love. Um, They lived in Berlin, and when the Nazis began taking over, they made plans to flee to the Netherlands. In 1940, Fritz became acquainted with Otto Frank in Amsterdam, and they they quickly became friends. He also became friends with the Van Pels, as they were all a circle of friends. They all visited the Frank's house um, on Saturday afternoons. As the raids increased and more Jews came up missing, Fritz wanted to join the Franks in hiding. The helpers of the secret annex and the people in the annex decided together they had room for one more. Anne wrote in her diary that she was excited to be getting an eighth person, yet she didn't know at the time who it would be. She was hoping it would be someone more her age, I'm sure. She had written that entry in her diary on November 10, 1942. Fritz was surprised when he got to the hiding place because he thought the Franks had escaped to Switzerland. Fritz moved into Anne's room and Margaret moved into her parents' room. Fritz noticed that there were frictions between families in the annex. Well, that was according to Anne, and Fritz tried to help the situation between the families when he realized Anne was right, but he had no luck and soon gave up and retired to his own duties and business. So Anne describes Fritz in her diary. She says, he prayed on Sundays. He does spend a quarter, in quote, he does spend a quarter of an hour, an entire 15 minutes, rocking from his toes to his heels, back and forth and back and forth. It goes on forever, and if I don't shut my eyes tight, my head starts to spin. Fritz kept in touch with his Charlotte by meep gaze, In quote. Sorry. Taking parcels and letters back and forth between them and vice versa. During the war, Charlotte lived in Amsterdam, but had no idea Fritz was so close to where she lived in hiding. The letters Fritz spent so much time writing were never recovered or saved after the war. Fritz spent a lot of his time learning Spanish language in hopes that he would build a new life in South America after the war with Charlotte. Fritz came in handy to the people in hiding by being a dentist with his bag of instruments he brought with him. He had treated Anne on June, June 1944, and she wrote in her diary, in quote, I am having some really horrible nerve treatment, and in one of my front tooth, she wrote tooth, too. It's being hurting me dreadfully and was so bad that Fritz thought I was going to faint, end quote. Fritz also studied medicine, and he examined Anne when she had the flu. Fritz, um, after he was arrested with the rest of the family in the secret annex, he was sent to Auschwitz concentration camp. On the platform in Auschwitz, Nazi doctors placed Fritz with the prisoners who did hard labor. Fritz's job while there was building roads outside the camp with other prisoners. So in the beginning of 1944, he had to leave Auschwitz, and it is unknown how and when Fritz Pfeffer ended up in Neuengamme concentration camp. The conditions in this camp were so horrible, and the prisoners there had to do hard labor in bad conditions. According to camp records, Fritz had died on December 20th, 1944, and his cause of death was listed as intercolonitis, which is a gastrointestinal infection. Okay, so 
Anne Frank, she was born in Frankfurt, Germany, and she was always a cheerful child and described as a naughty toddler by her parents. So Anne had sat down in a puddle of rainwater and wanted to have a story told to her by the housekeeper. And she insisted that this housekeeper sit down in the rain puddle with her and read her this story. So that was like a neat little thing that um, Otto had shared with the public. Um, Anne never got to know German that well since her family moved to Amsterdam when she was only four years old. And she, so, she only spoke, she mostly spoke Dutch. So Anne had always liked to be the center of attention wherever she would go. Otto said, end quote, as soon as she entered the room, things would get turbulent, especially since she often took a whole bunch of friends home. She was very popular because she always had plans for games they could play or things they could get in, get up to, end quote. Um, Anne's favorite subject was history. Her father was her idol. Anne was not at the top of her class like Margaret because she didn't like math. Um, she instead was into history and writing and always went up and beyond in her history courses and her history history teachers were always pleased with how well she had done. Anne's close friend um, from school was Jacqueline Van Morrison, and she said, end quote, Anne could be outspoken in her opinions about others. She was quick to judge and not afraid to voice her views, and I think that's why not everyone liked her. To me, Anne was above all a dear friend. She wanted us to spend together time together every day to talk or play or do homework. When she was alone, she was easily bored. I liked to be with her too, but sometimes I just had other things to do, end quote. When Anne went into hiding, all her friends being with her came to a halt. So, and that was the hardest on Anne, not having someone her age to spend time with and share her thoughts and feelings. Anne couldn't stand the adults that were in hiding with her, commenting on her behavior constantly. It drove her mad. She explained her feelings in her diary and said, in quote, if I talk, everyone thinks I'm showing off. When I'm silent, they think I'm ridiculous. Rude if I answer. Sly if I get good ideas. Lazy if I'm tired. Selfish if I eat a mouthful more than I should. Stupid, cowardly, crafty, etc., etc. The whole day long, I could hear nothing but that I am an insufferable baby, end quote. So Anne was so, uh, so full of emotions and strong feelings, and I think that this is why she wrote so much in her diary. Her mind was wise beyond her years, and she was a curious girl with thoughts that ran wild in her head. She couldn't contain them, so she had to tell someone. And she felt the adults would never understand her, although she did express a lot of her feelings to her father, Otto, she felt she had to write or she was going to suffocate inside the annex. Writing was a way she could escape the annex and the reality of the situation they were in because it was so hard to understand everything that was going on around her at the time. She felt like her mother shouldn't laugh in her face when she spoke. Instead, of, instead her mother should have to be tactful. Otto knew that Anne didn't get along with her mother. And that did bother him because he wanted Anne to have a good relationship with her and try and be more understanding of the, 
of her mother and the person that she was. Anne longed to talk to someone her own age and be, and when she knew Peter was 17, she thought it was close enough and she wanted to get to know him better. The two grew closer to over the two years and talked about everything together. They talked about sexuality, intimate topics, the hiding place, and their parents. Anne worried that her parents would not agree with her and Peter cuddling and kissing in the attic and in Peter's room, but she longed for attention and for someone to love her for who she was and really understood her. At first, Otto didn't mind, but later he changed his mind and told her he didn't want them cuddling. So Anne was upset and she felt that her father should have more trust in her than that. She was so upset that she wrote him a, a letter while in hiding and she titled it, in quote, Declaration of Independence, in quote. And she was convinced that she was now independent enough that she didn't need her parents' support and she didn't think she needed anyone. She didn't want her father to look at her as if she was just a 14-year-old girl. She felt she had grown wiser due to her situation in the hiding in the secret annex. She didn't want anyone to answer to. She didn't want to answer to anyone and only wrote the letter to him because she didn't want to be secretive about things. She told him that he could either trust her with Peter or not trust her and forbid her to do anything. She left the letter in his coat pocket and Anne regretted the letter after she seen how upset and hurt her father was with the words that she had wrote. But later the conflict solved itself when Anne fell out of love with Peter. From May 20th, 1944, and until their discovery, she focused on wanting to write and publish a book about her time in the secret annex and become a writer and journalist. So from May 1944, she worked hard on her book. Her diary formed into that book. Her diary was mostly written when she was 13 years old, and now she was 15. So she had started it and kind of like wrote throughout the years until she was 15, and she thought that she had changed a lot from the time that she had started writing the diary, but she just kept writing in her diary. Um, in her last diary letter, three days before her arrest, she mentions how there were two ants inside her, um, in quote, a superficial funny Anne and a serious Anne. So while in the company of others, she was dominant, while she would like to show her serious side. It saddens her that she had not succeeded in doing so yet. After the discovery and arrest, Anne lived for another six months. After Westerbork, she went to Auschwitz and to Birkenfelsen concentration camp. With those last few months of her life, we only have testimony of others, and some said Anne and Margaret and Edith were always together when seen at Auschwitz and that the quarrels from the secret annex were a thing of the past. The conditions were horrid once the girls arrived at Bergen-Belsen, and many people fell ill quickly. The prisoners were hungry and cold, and most of them sick. Anne became, became ill with spotted typhus, and she died in February. She was only 15 years old. So now Otto Frank, um, he's the last one that I'm going to go over that is in the hiding. I've went over all seven. He's the eighth one. Um, Otto Frank is the only, was the only survivor out of these eight people in hiding. So I saved him for last. Um, it's really sad, but 
Um, so here's Otto's, a little bit about him, and then his trip to um, Auschwitz and, and stuff like that. So in early 1933, Otto and Edith Frank made the decision to leave Nazi Germany due to their business fell into trouble when the anti-Semitism got worse. When Otto moved his family to the Netherlands, he worked tirelessly to succeed with his business to give his family a better life. The Nazis weren't going to allow that to happen for long. Otto tried to look into his business move, moving to Great Britain, but those plans never worked out. When Otto began selling spices and herbs along with the other products in his company, things started looking up financially. While Otto was in hiding, Anne describes her father as being the peacemaker of the annex. Anne wrote in her diary, in quote, I am dazed by all the abusive exchanges that have herded, hurtled, sorry, through this virtuous house during this past month. Daddy goes about it with his lips tightly pursed. When anyone speaks to him, he, start, he looks startled as if he is afraid he will have to patch up some tricky relationship again. Quite honestly, I sometimes forget who we are quarreling with and with whom we've made it up, end quote. Otto is remembered in the secret annex by Miepkes as being, in quote, the calm one, end quote. The children's teacher, um, the most logical, the one who balanced everyone out, is what Otto is remembered as when being in the secret annex. He was the leader, the one in charge, when Otto sees his white and sees his wife and children for the last time. It was the worst day of his life, and it all started when the hiding came to an abrupt halt on August 4th, 1944, when Dutch officers unexpectedly raided the secret annex. The hiding place had been discovered, and all eight of them were arrested. When Otto ended up in the Westerbork trans transit camp, Otto had to work during the day, but was back with his family at night. They were, they were only there for three, two or three weeks before they were taken to Auschwitz, where the prisoners were packed tightly into cattle cars without food. They would get a bucket to use the bathroom, and, for, and they used this for days, having to smell it in the enclosed cattle car. They only got water when the officers felt like giving it to them when the train would stop along the way for unknown reasons. Um, they took a three-day train ride to Auschwitz, is how long it took them to get there from Westerbork Transit Camp. Um, this is where Otto was separated from Edith, Anne, and Margaret, and that was the last time he ever saw his daughters and wife. Um, after the separation from his family, Otto was put into work um, in the gravel mine. The gravel he dug up was used for construction building roads outside the camp in Auschwitz. So Otto would peel potatoes on days it was too cold to dig to break the ground to get rock. So Peter Van um, Pels, um, he would get um, Otto extra food when he could, and this helped sustain Otto when he did this hard forced labor and made it a little bit easier for him when he did his work in the gravel mine. Otto had at one point lost hope when he had been beaten so badly, but with the help of a Dutch doctor and other fellow inmates, <clears throat> he was admitted into the sick barracks to be able to rest and get some strength back into his body. The Soviet troops were drawing near when the camp command clear, um, cleared Auschwitz. Those that could walk 
had to go with the SS officers on the death march. Others were left behind in the sick barracks. Otto was too weak to travel, so he stayed behind in the sick barracks, weighing only 52 kilograms and wouldn't have made it too far off his bunk. Otto didn't expect to live when he knew he would be staying behind in the sick barracks. He figured the SS guards would shoot all of them laying there and unable to fend for themselves, but that did not happen. On January 27, 1945, Soviet troops entered the camp and liberated all the Jews that were there. Otto had always felt it was a miracle that he was able to survive and that he was the only one to survive out of eight people that were in hiding with him. His heart was broken into a thousand pieces. When Otto was able to get his strength back, his only goal was to find his daughters and wife and return to his home in the Netherlands. He had to make a big detour um, on his way back to find his um, wife and his children and to see if they were alive for this reason was um, because there was a lot of war still going on in parts of Europe. Um, he got on a ship that was taking many of the survivors towards France. During his journey back home, he ran into Rosa Day um, Winter, the woman that had befriended his wife in Auschwitz, and she told him that his wife had perished in Auschwitz. At that moment, he knew he needed to keep his strength for Anne and Margaret, and he needed to find them. Otto's hope was that Anne and Margaret survived the war. Um, when he met with some sisters who had been with Anne and Margaret in Bergen-Belsen concentration camp, he learned that they didn't survive the war and I believe that they told him this in July of 1945. They told him that they died of exhaustion and illness. When Meep Gaze heard, she, heard the sad news about the girls, she handed Anne's diary to Otto. He couldn't bear to read them. But once he started, he was amazed of what a wonderful writer his daughter Anne was. He made copies of the pages and had his friends and family read Anne's work. People were pushing Otto to have the diary published for Anne. But he knew nobody wanted to talk about what just happened ever again. But eventually, Otto found a publisher that published Anne's diary, and it was published just two years after the war and her death. Anne would have been so proud to know that her diary was published to the world, as it was a dream of hers and how we all wish she could have lived to see how much she touched millions of people's lives and changed lives forever. She is still making an impact even all these years later. Otto felt that after the war that he could never find happiness in Amsterdam. The same place, all the tragedy and heartache started, a place that reminds him of, you know, the bad times and what took his wife and his kids from him. And he had a hard time fulfilling his peace there. So um, he did re... Um, he did move to Basel, Switzerland in 1952, and a year later, Otto remarried to Fritzi um, Geringer in Amsterdam. Fritzi had a daughter already that was the same age as Anne. Otto remained in, um, involved with the Anne Frank House, which was founded and preserved in Prinsengracht uh, 263 and its annex. So he's he was present at the opening of the Anne Frank House, and that was on May 3rd, 1960. He spoke at the opening, but 
His emotions overcame him, and he couldn't handle it. Otto Frank died um, on August 19, 1980, and in an interview shortly before he died, he said, in quote, I am almost 90 now, and my strength is slowly fading, but the mission that Anne passed on keeps me, keeps giving me strength to fight for reconciliation and for human rights across the world, end quote. Okay, so that is all the time that I have today for this podcast. Um, I hope you guys join me back next time for another episode of Never Forgotten Moments in History. I hope you guys have a blessed day and a happy new year. Take care. See you.